Welcome to CoreLogic REIP Market Insights with Tim Lawless. I'm your host, Sadna Smiles. This is where you will get the most up-to-date information on what is happening across the country in the property market. Our data is underpinned by CoreLogic. Tim Lawless is the leading expert on the real estate market, and REIP is a collective of real estate industry leaders committed to uniting and empowering the industry and our clients. Please enjoy this month's Market Insights. Welcome to REIP CoreLogic Market Insights. I'm your host, Sadden Smiles, and with me, as always, is the Head of Research for CoreLogic, Tim Lawless. Tim, how are you? I'm really well, Sadna. I hope you're going okay as well. Yes, looking forward to hopefully in the next month when we can come out of lockdown and really hoping that Queensland can actually main, maintain its um, uh, doors closed to Delta and, and stay open. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. As, as a Queenslander, we're, I think we're all shaking our heads up here to, to wonder how we're getting through this uh, so unscathed. But it'll be interesting to see if there's any fallout after the grand final. So uh, let's see what happens. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I was looking back on the month of September before our conversation. I'm like, OK, we've had two grand finals. We've had protests in the streets of Melbourne. We've had an earthquake in Melbourne. Uh, mandatory vaccinations for authorised workers across all of Victoria and some parts of New South Wales. Uh, we've had a change of premiership in, um, in New South Wales. And yet the Australian housing market annual growth rate is still tracking as a fastest pace since June 1989. How crazy is all this? It's, it's amazing, isn't it? It looks like the housing market is COVID-proof to some extent, doesn't it? Although we are seeing the rate of growth slowing down. It has been slowing since March. Yeah. So the annual numbers, extremely strong, up 20.3%. But we have seen the monthly growth rate nationally slip to 1.5%, uh, roughly the same as what we saw through August. It's nearly half of what we're seeing, say, back in March when the market had moved through the peak rate of growth. What's the what's the, the monthly growth rate um, falling back a little bit? What's the main reason for that? Well, it's really up into speculation. You know, a lot of people would point to lockdowns, of course, and, and clearly that's having an impact, particularly in Melbourne and Canberra, where it wasn't up until the, the sort of the middle of the month where we saw a relaxation in some of the rules around property inspections. And the market seems to have picked up a little bit in terms of activity since then. But uh, I think this is more about affordability. And if you look at housing prices rising as rapidly as what they are, and incomes aren't really doing all that much, they're up about one and a half percent over the year. It's clear that fewer buyers are able to participate in the market simply through the challenges in raising a deposit and funding their transactional costs like stamp duty and so forth. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the markets behave coming into sort of the middle of spring now. And this will be a real test because we are expecting more listings to come on the market. Is demand going to meet that, uh, that rise in listing numbers? So far, it has. Uh, you, know, you can look at the auction clearance rates. They're still very strong and, uh, in fact, have improved since we saw that uh, relaxation of rules around property inspections in Melbourne and uh, Canberra. I get the feeling that particularly in Melbourne and Sydney that have been locked down for such extended periods when we do open up and that late spring market kicks in, people will just be anxious to get their property uh, exchanges done, whether they're coming new onto the market or simply exchanging, or, you know, seeing it through. I think people will just be anxious to get it done because they there's that whole hesitancy of we want to move into somewhere by Christmas, but if we don't do it now, then we're never going to get in. 
Yeah, absolutely. You have to imagine there is a lot of pent up demands in the marketplace. People who have wanted to buy, they probably quite haven't had the confidence or the willingness to, to, to get into the marketplace while the lockdowns are in place. We're starting to see listing numbers picking up in the spring, which I think is a really encouraging sign that vendors are becoming more confident. Even though listings across the country, they're still about 28% below average. This is the total number of active uh, um, uh, advertised properties in the market nationally, still 28% below average, but the new listing trend is now visibly picking up pretty much everywhere. Um, also, as we saw through September, we have seen the number of home sales starting to drift a little bit lower, but I think that's probably more in line with the impact of lockdowns than anything else. Now, markets like Brisbane or Adelaide, uh, Perth, to, to some extent as well, have seen transactional activity holding up much better. Uh, and of course, they're the markets that haven't been in lockdown and are still seeing a, a relatively strong rate of capital gain as well. And the regional markets, Tim, are they still performing as strongly as they have been in the past? Yeah, yeah. Well, the regional markets, once again, outperform the capitals. So even though we've seen this real narrowing of the growth rate uh, through 2021, where previously the regional markets were quite uh, visibly outperforming the capitals, the difference over the, uh, over the, uh, the month of September was a 1.7% rise across regional Australia, 1.5% across the capital cities. So generally still seeing that the regions are outperforming, but if you drink, uh, dig below the surface a little bit, you can see that regional performance is really being driven by, well, firstly, the coastal markets. We're still seeing areas like the Sunshine Coast, the Gold Coast, Richmond Tweed, just absolutely powering along. But, but even in the capital cities, like in Sydney, it's the Northern Beaches and the Central Coast where housing values have risen by more than 30% now over the past 12 months. In Melbourne, it's the Mornington Peninsula. So the, the common denominator here tends to be coastal markets, either in the regions or the outer fringes of the capital cities, their lifestyle benefits. Um, you can't really say their affordability benefits anymore because we've seen housing prices rise so substantially in many of these areas. Uh, for a lot of locals, I think uh, um, it's becoming much more challenging to get into the marketplace if you're in, say, Byron, you're not on Sydney money and you're a local on, on say, Byron money, it's becoming much harder to compete with that uh, flow of migration coming out of the capitals. Yeah, and look, we, I've seen it all over in Melbourne, the tree change, sea change impact for lockdown Melburnians, particularly the regional areas being open. Um, talking to some of the locals where I now live, they've they're kind of been locked out of the market because, you know, you've got all these Melbourneites coming in, buying up. The locals are being locked out, which is a shame. Yeah, and it's the same in the rental markets in those areas as well. There really hasn't been much elasticity in, in terms of rental supply. And as you say, Sada, there's this real surge of demographic uh, population growth coming into a lot of the regions, particularly regional Victoria. So, yeah, I think there's going to be some, some affordability hurdles that become uh, quite challenging in, in a lot of those markets. And we continue to see this trend where the values are generally rising faster than, um, uh, sorry, house values are rising generally faster than unit values, especially in the capital cities. But Hobart and Darwin, this is not happening. So why? What, what's the difference? Yeah, different reasons in those two cities, I think. So if you look at Hobart, uh, the demographic trend is, is quite mature aged, is a, is a polite way to describe it, I guess. So we are seeing more sort of older folk in, in Hobart, probably looking for lower maintenance options, 
downsizing options, that type of thing. And of course, there hasn't been much new supply added to the medium to high density marketplace across Tassie either. So I think that's probably really, in, in Hobart at least, it's, it's just a mismatch between supply and demand. Whereas in Darwin, it's almost, <clears throat> excuse me, it's almost the opposite. We have seen a huge amount of new apartment supply across the Darwin market over, say, the past decade, not necessarily recently, but there has been this overhang of supply across the apartment market, which has seen through this long-running downturn in Darwin, it's really been uh, most impactful in the, in the unit sector. So units are extremely cheap across Darwin. The typical price of a unit is about $353,000. It's the lowest of any capital city. Yields are up around uh, um, nearly 7% across the Darwin unit market. So I think that's probably quite attractive to investors. And you're buying into that market at around about 2006 prices. So yeah, it looks like uh, Darwin's more around just the sheer affordability and the high rental returns we're seeing in, in that, that apartment sector. Mm -hmm. Talking about supply, we see we continue to see low advertised supply, which is putting pressure on prices. Are you starting to see an increase in listings coming onto the market? Yeah, so the, the typical spring trend started off a little bit late, mostly because uh, Melbourne and, and Canberra weren't really adding too much to the momentum, uh, but Sydney was starting to see a, a lift in, in early spring, even late winter, in new listings coming on the market. Everywhere else outside of those three lockdown cities, the new listings trend's been pretty normal. So normally we see this kick up through early spring or even late winter. So what we're seeing at the moment from a macro perspective is new listing numbers are about 20% higher than, than they were a year ago. So. Remember last year was a bit of a, um, a low benchmark to refer back to, of course, because we're still moving through Melbourne's uh, lockdown. It's uh, new listing numbers are still about 1.2% below the five-year average. But I'm guessing with the current trend we're seeing now and also the fact that we're probably going to be seeing Melbourne and Sydney hopefully coming out of uh, or at least easing some, some of the lockdown restrictions, we'll probably start to see new listings rising a little bit more quickly uh, over the coming uh, month. So this will be a real test for the market. Is, is the depth of demand there to, to meet this uh, rise in new listing numbers? So far, so good. But uh, I think we'll have a better idea of that as we come into November. Mm. And the low inventory um, in the home sale is well above average, but it, but it, it's what we're calling, a, well, I'm calling a vendor's market, isn't it? it? It's I can ask the price that I want and the buyer will have to pay. Pretty much, yeah, it is absolutely a market that's skewed towards sellers, not, not to buyers. And we can see that the, you know, that the rate of sale, uh, the number of days on market is around about 30 days at the moment. And, and again, that's been a little bit impacted upwards uh, through Melbourne and Sydney to a lesser extent, just in the rate of sale, lifting a little bit through the lockdowns, but still at 30 odd days uh, nationally, that's, that's well below average. Um, discounting or negotiation levels are tracking at about 2.8%. So again, that, that reflects that there's not a great deal of leverage the buyers have. They, they aren't able to negotiate very much. And again, clearance rates are another really good indicator, particularly in the three lockdown cities where there are a lot of properties taken to auction. We've seen even just the last week, uh, the preliminary numbers came through in Melbourne up in the high 70% range. We haven't seen that uh, for a couple of months Sydney's consistently up in the 80% range and Melbourne's, uh, sorry, uh, Canberra's bouncing back there as well. Uh, so yeah, every, every indicator we look at that uh, measures the fit between buyers and sellers is looking very tight. 
And uh, I think uh, it'll continue to be a seller's market for some time. Mm. Let's talk about the rental market. We've seen um, a slight increase in the rate of growth in the rental market, but we also now starting to see in, in September it losing some steam as well. Yeah, so rents are up nearly 9% nationally uh, over the past 12 months. So that's that's a very strong rate of growth. It's about the highest we've seen since the market was coming into the GFC. So uh, we are seeing fairly broad-based upwards pressure on rents. Most of that, kind of similar to the housing market, is emanating out of the house sector rather than units. But the last month, we've started to see unit markets, even in those really hard-hit inner-city high-rise precincts of Melbourne and Sydney, unit rents are actually starting to lift now. So it does look like we're starting to see a lot more tenants or, or renters taking advantage of the, the fairly substantial price drops we've seen in rents across, say, inner Melbourne, to a lesser extent, inner Sydney. And there does seem to be this transition back towards apartment renting. Uh, still underperforming in terms of the annual growth rates. Apartment rents are up about 5.2% over the past 12 months. House rents are up about 10.3%. But just like we're seeing in housing value growth, that gap is diminishing. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a trend we continue to see going forward, simply due to rental affordability becoming uh, more challenging as well. Mm. And in the regional markets, Tim, in, in terms of, uh, of rentals? Well, rentals in, in regional markets are even stronger. So uh, I mentioned um, uh, house rents are up 10.3 across, uh, across Australia. Regional rents are up 12.3% compared to capital cities, up 9.5%. And if you look at some of those lifestyle markets we talked about a bit earlier on, rents are absolutely rocketing higher. Uh, not quite as high as, as, say, the rate of growth in housing values, which in, in some cases is more than 30%. But we are seeing rental growth in a lot of those really popular regional markets uh, now increasing by more than 15%, in some cases 20%. So it does look like uh, very tight rental markets, hopefully with investors starting to come back into the marketplace more uh, uh, progressively now, we'll start to see some of the heat coming out of rents and uh, a little bit more balance returning to, uh, to, to for, for renters. Mm. And you'd imagine investors will come back in because our mortgage rates for investors are so low at, at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And we are seeing investors starting to come back into the markets. Uh, they, they're now about 30, nearly 31% of mortgage demand. So up from that recent record low, uh, sort of December, January of this year, investors comprised around 18 to 19% of the market. Now they're nearly 30% of the market. Part of that's driven by, of course, investors increasing their presence, but also by first home buyers now on the, on the wind down. Uh, first home buyer lending's down about 14% over the three months to uh, to August. So definitely a change of, of the guard, uh, investors stepping up, first home buyers slowing down, and non-first home buyer owner occupiers are still also the, obviously the largest presence in the market, but uh, that rate of growth for lending is slowing as well. Mm. So overall house trends are positive. However, what are some of the emerging risk factors we should be aware of? We haven't seen a great deal of change in what those risk factors are over the past month. It's still credit tightening uh, or credit policies tightening up, but that looks like it's becoming a little bit more imminent now. We've we've certainly seen, well, we've seen the IMF talking about it a little bit more recently in their uh, Article 4 consultancy that they uh, released uh, last month. So the IMF is recommending uh, tighter credit policies being introduced. Um, the Treasurer, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg, recently started talking about it and endorsed tighter credit policies, the Council of Financial Regulators, which includes RBA and APRA, Treasury and ASIC. 
they've all started talking about it a lot more in their in their uh, quarterly minutes as well. So it does look like we probably will see credit tightening up maybe later this year or early next year. Um, longer term, obviously, there's uh, um, the prospect of higher interest rates, but that's probably still a good uh, 18 to 24 months away. But we're already starting to see lenders themselves becoming a bit more cautious. Just look at some of the statements coming out of uh, the CDA, where they've already started to tighten their serviceability uh, buffers on interest rate assessments. So even if we don't see credit tightening up, it does look like lenders are becoming a bit more cautious. Then across all that, obviously, the most imminent challenge is going to be affordability. And we don't see that really improving until the housing market probably moves into a downturn. And that won't happen until uh, interest rates start to rise, would, would be my view. Which they're saying will be sort of more like 2024. And That's the right. RBA have said quite clearly. Yeah, a lot of private sector economists uh, are suggesting it'll be earlier than that, maybe uh, um, early to mid-2023. But uh, the RBA is certainly sticking to their, their 2024 view that that's, not, uh, that that's when interest, um, sorry, that's when inflation targets will finally be, be met. Of course, the RBA has an inflation mandate or, or target of 2 to 3%. Mm. So seeing inflation about half of that. Say, so... Household savings have jumped, and, and particularly in the lockdown cities, we've got nowhere to spend our money at all. And I think it was 22% in the June quarter um, due to the lockdowns. Can you imagine that um, or suggest that as we reach vaccination rates and we are let out, that consumption patterns could ease housing demand? Yeah, I think that that is a possibility. And I think that that really high household saving ratio you mentioned was one of the factors that really contributed to the heat in the marketplace. A lot of prospective home buyers had the ability to save more, and uh, obviously that can that can funnel into their uh, their deposit. But going forward, I think as we emerge from lockdowns, well, hopefully, fingers crossed, I think we will start to see consumers, you know, relishing their uh, their newfound freedom and, and spending up on uh, on lifestyle and uh, social outings and so forth. So chances are we will see that saving ratio reduced um, substantially from where it is at the moment. It is remarkably high. So I think a, a lower saving ratio should be expected and uh, is probably a healthy outcome for the economy, which largely in Australia is consumption-based. So people spending more will certainly help the economy to improve further and help the uh, RBA to achieve their inflation target. I don't know, Tim, I've got a parcel being delivered every day to my household. I think I'm adding to it. I'm adding to the economy, you know, and so are most people I know. I mean, I think they were saying that the Australia Post has actually, actually had to stop delivering to catch up on the items that they haven't been able to deliver. So I don't know how they'll ever catch up, in the, if that's their theory, but anyway. Yeah, you and me both. Uh, I've, even though I, as a Queenslander, I can go out and do some shopping. Uh, yeah, I've certainly been upping my online spending. <laughs> Well, Tim, thank you again for your time. Let's see. September was an exciting month. A lot happened. Let's see what October brings us, especially as we um, enter a, a latish spring selling market. Absolutely, Sadna. More to come, I think. Uh, I look forward to speaking to you next month. Speak to you then. Thank you for joining us. Please take a few moments to rate, review and subscribe to our podcast. Until next time, stay safe and stay connected.